Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. This Sunday we have Christian Pana with us for the first time, who is the pastor of the B1 Church. Both of our churches want to work closer together in the future, and so we look forward on future collaborations. Today we will take a look into Hebrews 6 and learn more about God's promises and reliability. We will see that our hope in God is an anchor for our souls and what role Jesus plays in this comparison. So join us now for this sermon titled, The Anchor of Hope. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you, brothers and sisters. It's, uh, be- why? Because Jesus Christ is right here. I do believe that the Holy Spirit, God, is right here with us and He's... Uh, not only able, but ready to teach us something important for our lives. Uh, Today, we will be in the book of Hebrews, just for a while, um, for a few minutes. And um, uh, I know this is probably not part of your, uh, what you do here or how you are used with, but um, I have uh, a request. Please pay attention Uh, while I'm preaching, because at the end of the sermon, I will ask you, together with, <laughs> with other people, that you don't know. So if you are a guest here, uh, don't be in the same group with uh, somebody that you know. So just spread around. Um, I think we are able to have at least three small groups And to give a feedback from the sermon, something that stood out to you, something that you learned, something that you liked, something that you hated, <laughs> or maybe a question that you have. And at the end, uh, one, uh, one person from that group could uh, pray, and then, I don't know, do we have a last song afterwards? Yeah, great. So, uh, this is the plan. Uh, now... Um, I don't know how many things or how much you know about the uh, letter to Hebrews, but I'm not going to, uh, to make a, like a, a huge introduction to this, but I would like to introduce at least the text for today. Um, this letter is it's a small sermon, <laughs> like a very short sermon. 13 chapters, but just, you know, a short sermon uh, for written by an author that we don't know. We don't know who is the author, but we know some things about uh, the people that received this letter. Um, from what, I mean, I did a little bit of research, and I understand that um, the people, the Christians that they received this letter were... Uh, and this letter was addressed to a small part, like a section from the church in Rome. The Jewish section, to be more precise. They, this Jewish Christian, they, they withdrawn from the church into the synagogue, um, watching how their ex-brothers and ex-sisters uh, were suffering under the beginning of uh, what will be a, a huge persecution afterwards. I said X because in order to be in the synagogue, they had to repent, rejecting Jesus as being the Messiah. So they had to say that. I don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And based on this uh, testimony, they were received back in the synagogue. Um, they had, they faced a, a tough decision because in order to protect their children, To protect their families. They had to do this. But their heart was like. Oh what am I doing here? But they said you know. It's okay. Because God is God. And the God in Judaism is the God in Christianity. The prophets in Judaism are the prophets in, in Christianity. And uh, for the first, in, first 15 years. The church didn't have any New Testament writing. But Old Testament. So what's the difference? There is no difference. Uh, but there was a difference. They said there is no difference, but there was. Um, they were renouncing Christ, and actually the author of the letter um, warns them. In the letter, we have six warnings. 
Um, and these warnings are r very well um, uh, targeted uh, to this audience because, um, let's say, well, so far, we are in chapter 6 now, but so far, in chapter 2, he warns them against neglecting the Word of God. In chapter 3 and a little bit in 4, a few verses in 4, there is another warning against an evil heart of unbelief and the consequences of it. And uh, now we are very close to the text that we are in now. And the third warning is in chapter 5 and 6 against spiritual laziness and the dangers of this spiritual laziness. The danger was imminent for them, for this group of people. They thought we are safe here in the synagogue, but they were not. Why that? Because the author said, hey, for some of you, the danger uh, is the danger of infancy. Some of you, the danger of apostasy. And some of you, the danger of uselessness. Uh, yes, you used to love the other Christians. You, you used to love God, but now everything you do is useless. So beware. Um, those who are already apostate, they were hopeless. Uh, they, they were not Christians. They were not even believing anymore. But those who were infants in, in the belief, in the faith, and their, probably their deeds decreased to uselessness, in the author's perspective, they might have a chance to recover. And this is the good news. Uh, you, it, it, there is a chance for you. Uh, this chance was to work on their hope. They, they had no hope. Um, if they would have a full assurance of hope until the end, the author said, you will be safe. Not safe like now. You are not safe. But if you will get out of a synagogue and to come back with your brothers and sisters, maybe your life will be in danger. But you know what? Your hope will, you will recover your hope. Therefore, the author avoided giving any examples from, the, from Moses or the Mosaic law. And, and probably you, you ask, why? Well, uh, because the, in the synagogue, the synagogue was the place where the Mosaic law was taught. And for these Christian Jews, came, um, it was when they came back in the synagogue, they had it all. And that's why... Uh, and they regressed, imagine, they regressed from Christ to the law. And now, um, in this process, they lost hope. And maybe you ask, how come? Why hope? Well, what, what is the hope of, of the law? What hope do you find in the law? I, I need an answer from you. I know it's a sermon, but now I, I really need an answer. What's the hope of the law? If you read the law, what's the hope? What hope do you have? Uh, the law? You have hope in Christ? Well, you hope probably future, but if you are in the law of Moses, what hope does that law give to you? There is any hope? Well, probably the hope is I'll die. <laughs> because the law is you are a sinner and the... The end result of sin is death. Yay! Good hope, right? <laughs> no. And if, if it's not death, then what else? Maybe, maybe you hope for God's mercy. But what is the difference between this and a Muslim? None. So these Christians... They really found the hope in Jesus Christ. And now because they were scared, they went back to no hope. And they and their life, spiritual life, started to go down and down and down and down. And the author said, it's time to stop. It's time to stop. Go back to Christ. And you will regain hope. And your life will be totally changed. Therefore... Um, the author argues for hope not from the Mosaic law, but from a pre-Mosaic period and standpoint of view. 
Who was before Moses? Abraham. And I like David, you, when you started to talk about, about Abraham in the morning, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, tell us more. If not, I will tell you more. Because the text today is about this. So let's go to the book of Hebrews. And we are in chapter 6. Now we are ready to understand this text. Otherwise, it's so hard to understand what is going on. Um, who wants to read for us? I, I'm not going to read the text. Who wants to read this text? It's uh, from verse 13 to 20. So Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 20. Who wants to read? Melchizedek. Thank you. Thank you very much. Lord, we are here and we want to hear your voice. Uh, the text was inspired by the Holy Spirit and already the text talked to our hearts. But uh, help us to practice all of these words, your words, and let us, our life, uh, be changed, transformed by your word. Let us, your church, be transformed and changed by your word. And Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the concern that you have in our lives and in, uh, in changing and transforming our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So today I would like to focus more on to, in this, in hope, obviously. But the text talks about the anchor of hope. So this is the main uh, topic that I would like to develop today from the text the anchor of hope. And um, following the author of the book of Hebrews, the letter, um, we will go in the same pace with him. The first step is he illustrated hope. So the first step in, in, in my sermon is the illustration of hope. And he, the author is illustrating uh, hope in Abraham's life. Remember, pre-Mosaic. And, and this is, uh, is, 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 is very good for the church. The text brings an illustration from Abraham's life when God made a promise to Abraham. And, and the text said, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. This is God's promise to Abraham. The context of this is when Abraham was tested by God. Maybe you remember. Mount Moriah, um, God said... Uh, now I know that you obeyed me, I will multiply uh, you. Well, God asked Abraham to bring a sacrifice. And the sacrifice was his son, Isaac, the son of promise. Um, in, in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, I will read this text, 22, 15 through 18, it is said this. And the angel of the Lord, so Genesis 22, 15 through 18. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is in the 
uh, is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Now, the angel of the Lord said that. You obeyed my voice. Um, in, in verse 14, it's a direct quote in, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 14. It's a direct quote from Genesis 22. Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And then in verse 15, afterwards, the author said, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Now, maybe you ask, uh, how come? Because we know, and David uh, a little bit talked about this, Abraham was not patient at all. <laughs> um, in the first, after God promised uh, a son, uh, the first thing that he da- did after some years, uh, he was 75 years old. He uh, went to uh, Eliezer of Damascus and he said, um, I would like you to be my heir. And that was not a, a good idea. Then God uh, uh, talks with him again, and he said, I will make a covenant with you and your uh, descendants. When Abraham was later on in his life, 86 years old, uh, due to a fear of men, and I would say fear of Sarah, um, I don't think was that was a, only an advice. He feared her. Um, he received Ishmael as the son, his son, from a Hagar. But God told him that Isaac, not Ishmael, is the promised son. Ishmael is not the son that he promised. When Isaac was born, Abraham was mm, around 100 years. Uh, that's interesting. From the moment when God said, I will bless you and I will give you a son until he received the son. You know how many years are? 25. Who in the world waits for 25 years for a promise to happen, to be fulfilled? Well, Abraham did. Well, he did some mistakes also. But when God talked to him, he changed. He said, oh Lord, yes sir, I will do it. And here he is, after 25 years, finally he has a son. And after a while, God said, oh, you know, by the way, Abraham, I want to bring this son a sacrifice to me. Now, maybe, um, okay, question. I need an answer. How many years do you think uh, Isaac was about, like approximately, when they went up on Mount Moriah? What do you think? I mean, I, I know you read your Bible. I know every, sometimes, some people, some Christians, when they... Uh, the, the, the year starts, they start with Genesis. <laughs> and when they got to around Leviticus, they said, you know, I'm done. <laughs> this is too much for me. So, um, okay. Probably you've read Genesis several times. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but how old was Isaac when uh, he brought, when Abraham was asked to bring him as a sacrifice? To kill him. So, that means you never thought about that? Because if you never thought about that, then I am really weird. Because I did. (laughs) I thought about that. And, and, okay, there is anybody with me. You you thought about that or not? Yeah? How how old do you think was, sir? Uh, What you thought? I said, Huh? 16. Why? Why that? <laughs> Please, sir. <laughs> so, 16. We have, we have 16 here. Anybody else? Huh? 10 years old. You gave a little bit. <laughs> okay. I, I, around 10. Okay, we have 2 with 10. 116. Anybody else? Eight. Okay. <laughs> we are going down. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Um, and last call. Anybody else? Please. We really need somebody. I'm not going further. <laughs> Please. 
So we have 8, 10, 16. <laughs> so, so Abraham was like going like this <laughs> on Mount Moriah. Well, well, this is, uh, no. Well, maybe I'm the only one that believes that he was around 20, 25 years old. And I will tell you why. And maybe, eh? yeah, not one year old. Because a one-year-old boy cannot carry the wood for the burnt offering. Uh He was about to kill his son as a burnt offering. How much wood do you need to burn a person? Maybe you never thought about that. But 8, 16, 10 years old... They cannot carry up to the mountain because Abraham didn't carry any of the wood. Read again. Read again Genesis. <laughs> so probably he was in his 20, 25. And now imagine, if you have an 8 years old son and you say, hey son, please go up on the altar and said, no, dad, I don't want to go. Okay, dad. But how about 25 years old? How you make a 20 years old man to go on the the altar only if he is willing to? Mm. So actually, Isaac said, father, I trust you because you trust God. I willingly go on. And probably he put his arm like this. He was tied. He was on the altar. And when Abraham was ready to kill him, he was stopped. By who? By the, by who? The angel of the Lord. Do you know who is the angel of the Lord? It's Jesus Christ. In his pre-incarnate state. And he said, stop. Abraham didn't hear him. Stop. He said again. And, God, and he said, now I know. He is God. Now I know. You obeyed me. Now you understand the text in Genesis? Because you don't, if you don't understand the text in Genesis, you can't understand the text in Hebrews. He waited 25 years. And then after maybe 20 or 25 years, God said, hey, kill him. And he said, no problem, Lord. I'll do it. You know why? Because he knew that God promised this son. He promised a nation out of this son. And he said, you know what? If I'll kill him, if I will burn him, from that ashes, God will bring him back. Just read. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11. From that ashes. I don't care how God will bring him back. Why? Because he promised. Without that promise. Abraham would have had a blind faith. But he, were, he had a reasoned faith. He knew that God promised. And when God promised. He will do it. Otherwise what? Otherwise God will die. You know why? He's in a covenant with God. Abraham was in a covenant with God. And probably you know this. A covenant is where two parties, they become one. And the only way they become, they break, if they break the covenant, the only way to escape from this relationship is what? You don't have two persons anymore. You have two halves. And uh, maybe you remember this from Genesis. God asked Abraham to kill some animals, to put them like this. So he, he, he cut them like this, not half like this, but half like this. He put them like, and, and God went through this. And, and the custom was the two parties that are going in that covenant, they walk and they say this. If I will break this covenant, this happened to me. I will die. So if God promised something and he didn't keep his promise, 
God will die. Abraham was okay with that. You know what? God, it's on God, it's not on me. A lot of people think, oh man, you know, Abraham was like, oh, oh, what should I do? You know, I'll kill my son. No, he was okay. Why? All his trust was on God. And this is what the author of of Hebrews said. When God said that, when God promised, then it's not Abraham's problem. He has hope. What? What's his hope? God will bring him back. I don't know when. I don't know how. But it's God's problem. It's not mine. So this illustration is really, really powerful because the the author of uh, Hebrews said, he had patience. No, we know he, he didn't. But interesting enough, um, um, when he was uh, around, uh, probably uh, he saw his uh, uh, Jacob, he saw also Esau. He knew his uh, uh, nephews by name and he played with them. So did he saw the fulfillment of the promise of God? Partially, he saw his son married, having kids. Nat- oh, great! But he died. And that's the thing. This is the illustration that the, the author of Hebrews used here. Maybe you will die. And you don't see the promise all fulfilled. But only partially. And that's why, hey, have hope. Like Abraham. And now you understand why he's giving this example to the Jews, the Christian Jews there. He only saw the development of the promise and how God will, and, and, and a partial fulfillment of it. And later on in chapter 11, each one of these heroes of faith, they didn't saw the fulfillment. They never met Jesus. Well, some of them they did, but not in his pre-incarnate state, but not like Jesus. They knew him as the angel of the Lord, but not as Jesus. They died, but the promise was fulfilled or not. Yes. So that's why I think it's, it's, it's a very powerful illustration. In the same way, let's come back to us. Okay, now Abraham is this. I know, I understand, but uh, what's in for me? In the same way, our faith must be strengthened because faith gives birth to hope. And hope, in turn, strengthens faith. Abraham was not only a man of faith, but he was a man of hope. And because he was patient and patiently waited, he obtained the promise. So what's in this, in here for me and you? Have patience. (laughs) Sometimes we are not patient. We are like Abraham. Oh, you know, I'll do something. Don't do anything. Let God do. Why? He promised. Um, um, God promised that I will be saved, right? Will he fulfill this promise? Because I don't feel like I'm saved. I don't care what I feel. I know what God said. You understand the difference? Sometimes when you, you, you don't feel loved by God, but God said, I love you. What's powerful, my feeling or his word, his promise? Uh, uh, you don't know the answer? Look back to Abraham. <laughs> it's his promise. So, and we have God's promise. The example of Abraham should serve us as an encouragement for us individuals and for the church. No matter what happens in, in, in this life, we must have faith in the one who promised, I will. And he will. He will fulfill. This is why we must patiently wait and we will obtain the promise. Like in Abraham's situation. Now from verse 16 to, through 18, uh, after he illustrated hope, now he tell us, the author, tell us something about the foundation of this hope. And in the, in the next section, what we see here is 
um, the promise that God made. An oath. God doesn't need to make any oath, right? Because His word is truth. When God said yes, is yes. But why do you think He promised and He made an oath? Why did He vowed for our assurance? Not because He needs to. Um, we read in the in the New Testament that the Jews were uh, were um, um, uh, swearing an oath, and they were using Jerusalem or the temple. And Jesus said, "Don't do that. Don't do that." And and the text says, "There is nobody higher than God." For people swear by something greater than themselves, like Jerusalem or temple. And all in their disputes to show more convincingly to their, uh, to the heirs of the promise. Oh, sorry. I, by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes and oath in final for confirmation. So then God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his promise. He didn't need to do that. He did it because he's in con- contact with us. And we need assurance. Right? Right? I need an assurance. Lord, how do I know that you will do this? And that's why God goes further. And he does something that is unheard. And he swore. He said, you know what? I will do this. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie... We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. What's the foundation of my hope? First of all, the covenant. Second of all, God swear an oath. And he, God cannot lie. If he's not fulfilling what he promised, he's a liar. And you know what? I don't need a God that lies. Right? You too? I need a God of truth and what he says he will do. And number two, if he's not fulfilling what he promised to, then he must to die. Because I'm in a covenant with him. He initiated the covenant. So if God will not do what he promised to me, he said, you will be my heir. Then God must to die. <laughs> Maybe you think, You are crazy. What are you talking about? God cannot die. But you see how important was for God to swear an oath? When he did it, he was responsible. When he made a covenant, he was responsible. That's why the foundation of my hope is strong. It's strong. Why? It's not what I can do. It's what God does. And he promised, and he will. So, uh, when you feel a little bit, you know, blue, <laughs> and out of hope, you know, about corona, or about, I don't know, church, or about government, or about your kids, I don't know. Look back to Abraham. Patiently waited. And... He was rewarded. Number two, remember, who made the promise? Who swore an oath? God. Then he will do it. How do I know? God cannot lie. And it is here in the text. But interesting, in verse 18, when the author said, We who have fled to refuge. He was talking about the Jewish Christians that they fled to in the synagogue? No. If you look in the in the context, sound is a little bit vague. But when you look in the context, context, uh, uh, it's it's about salvation. As fugitives, incline to one who offers new life. We have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We fled from from sin, and. Now we are running, and maybe you, there are days when you think, where I am running to? <laughs> uh, it seems like it's, I, it's hopeless. 
Look in the world. What is God doing? Nothing. When you think like this, remember, God made a promise. It's a strong foundation. It's not what I can do. The salvation is not on me. If it's on me, I will lose it. If it's on God, it's safe. Because he promised. You understand why? There is a firm foundation for my hope. Fanny Crosby uh, was inspired to write this song. Maybe you know this song, Blessed Assurance. Do you know it? By heart? Can we just a little, little bit sing it? Because it's very important. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. What, what a foretaste of glory divine. Listen to this. Heir of salvation, purchased of God. Born of His Spirit, washed by His blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. How is this possible? Well, I know. I know I am an heir of salvation. It will happen. How do I know? Strong foundation. The foundation for our hope is solid. Our salvation is based on God's promise and God's covenant. The oath God swore to Abraham was meant for us to strengthen. When we look back, we, it's my hope, my faith is strengthened. Why? Because I know. I look back. I know how uh, uh, Abraham's story ended. I know there is a Jesus Christ. He was born in Bethlehem. I know it's possible. I know God fulfills His promises. This is the reason why we are encouraged to hold fast to this hope. To the hope that is set before us. When we have such a hope, it's easy to take decisions in life. Should I do this or should I do that? Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because I have my hope. It's my hope is not in what I will choose now. This or that. Just do it. Choose something. Because we are sure about our end. Right or not? We are assured that our end is awesome. The blessed hope. Jesus Christ. We are heir of salvation. Awesome. Brother and sister, we, ha we are safe in God's hands. Safe in God's hands. Because what he promised, he will do. Now, um, from verse 19, the last two verses that we read today, is the significance of hope. So you have an, the illustration, Abraham. Then you have the foundation, firm, solid. And then the significance. What is hope? So far, the, the, the author of the letter discussed the absolute de dependability Uh, on God's promise. And, and now he explains the significance of this hope. He said, hope is what? Like a, an anchor. An anchor. The picture that you, when you see an anchor, what, what do you see? What, what, when you see an anchor, what I, I know is, is not about Navy and <laughs> I'm not talking about this. Um, the picture is this. A boat battered by the waves, but held in one place. Why? Because of that anchor. 
So, in the Old Testament, actually, do you know that in the Old Testament, there is no word anchor? You can't find it. Because the Jews thought that if you lose something in the water, in the sea, it's forever lost. It's like, done. <laughs> so, uh, the word anchor is not in the Old Testament. Only in the New Testament, in two places. This one, and there is another one. And you should know, because I was here when somebody talked about that from this pulpit here. <laughs> exactly. Paul, the book of Acts chapter 27, you know, the, the storm and they, yeah. So only two places in the New Testament and none in the Old Testament. Uh, and, and when I read that, I was like, okay. Uh, we have this as a sure and oh, sorry, steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You know, personally, I wanted to know more about this anchor. <laughs> but, but the author stopped there. He painted the picture. You got this. Now I will paint another one. And this is an interesting picture. The hope that enters in the inner place. Behind the curtain, what is this? The temple, the high priest going into the most holy place, right? So, and I thought, I want to know more about this. But actually, the author told me more about this if I pay more attention. Why? Because they both have something in common. An anchor. You throw it in the water. Do you see the anchor? Well, I hope. <laughs> I don't know what type of water is there. Maybe you see it. But uh, like 95%, you don't see the anchor. But it holds. It holds. It's right there. Look into the heavenly tabernacle. The high priest, the great, the perfect great high priest, Jesus Christ, enters in the holies of holies. And do you see him? No, because of the veil. Is he there? Yes, he is. Do you see this? It's hope. There is hope that the anchor holds. There is hope that Jesus is in. Do we know that? Yes, we know. That's hope. It's something you have hope in something that you don't see, but you know it's there. Do I see my salvation? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you something else. Are you sure about your salvation? David, you are sure about your salvation, right? Do you see it? Where is it? You see, the promise is not fulfilled yet. Because there is something that is missing. And, and we need a body. A different body that we have today. And our salvation will be complete. Or our redemption. Ephesians 4. Our redemption will be complete. When also we'll have the new body. So we have only the spiritual part. And we don't see it. It's still in the future. But God said, I will save you. Count on that. Well, Lord, I don't feel I'm like saved. Your feelings, your emotions are like the wind. Don't go there. Look beyond. Look down. Does the anchor hold? Yes. Then you are okay. We, Abraham, haven't seen Jesus. He saw the angel of the Lord. And do you understand why I'm making this difference? Because we are talking about the same person. Before Jesus was born in our world, he is the Son of God. And this is how the, the, the letter of Hebrews starts, with the Son of God. But in the Old Testament, Jesus appeared to some people. And in some instances, as the angel of the Lord, or the messenger of the Lord. In, in, in interesting, in... in in Isaiah, it says the, the angel of the Lord is the 
face of the Lord. And now maybe you are confused. No. Um, I'll show you something. I'm faceless. You don't know me. What you see is only my eyes. But when I do this, now you know me. Um, I never met you. Uh, you are first time, right? I never met. I have no idea how do you look. What I see is it's only two eyes and hair. Praise God, I don't have hair. But, you know, <laughs> well, at least you have something. But I will know you when you take the mask off and then, oh, yeah, now, now I know. It's your face. Tells you tells something about your identity. So Jesus is the face of the Father. We understand the Father because of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, God would be a faceless God. So, interesting, interesting, uh, Jesus, sorry for that. Jesus is the hope, and he's the face of, he is, in the Old Testament, the messenger of God, the angel of God. And when he was born in our world, he, because uh, Gabriel said, he received the name Jesus. So that's why I'm making the difference. You understand now? Between the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate state, and Jesus. When you read the book of Hebrews, he talks about the Son of God. But interesting, look at in this text, he talks about Jesus. Why? It's very important. Um, so, verse 20, you see? It's not, it doesn't say, and where the Son of God has gone as a forerunner. No. When Jesus, why, why Jesus? Because He is the God-man. Jesus is the God-man even as we speak. He is in heaven, the God-man. He is man, 100%. And He is God, 100%. So when here, the author, when you read the book of Hebrews, is, is, is obvious. He always talks about the Son of God, Son of God, and then Jesus. Why? Because He wants to talk about this. And He is the forerunner on our behalf. You know what? He is the first one who opened the way. And now, each one of us who follow Jesus, we will got, enter eternity through that niche. Why? Jesus is our forerunner. And where is the man, God-man, Jesus today? We will be with Him. Praise God. Now we are talking about hope. Now we are talking about joy. Now we are talking about, I am sure. Now, what happens when, um, when, you, when the waves of this life hit your, the, the, the boat of your, I don't know, of your life? Is the boat hammered by the waves? Oh, yeah. Where is the water? There is water on the deck? Oh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> there is any chance that this boat will survive? Yes or no? Wow. I thought you would jump and say yes, but you are like, I don't know what to say. If after this sermon you don't want to say, you need to hear again. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am sure my life is secure in Him. Why? The anchor of hope. Jesus. The perfect great high priest who is in heaven, Jesus, is our forerunner. We will follow him. What is true for Jesus is true for me. Amen? I'm sure. I'm happy. Let corona come. <laughs> I don't care. I have life insurance. If you as individual experience right now some waves in your life, 
Check the anchor. It's in the water. It holds you. It's right there. Is Jesus in the most holy place in heaven? Check it out. If not, throw the anchor. Anchor. Look at Jesus. Your experience, your life will be stable, balanced, clear, calm. You, knew, you need to do this. The other option is to experience confusion and distress. No balance. Being thrown from uh, here to there by the waves of this life. Maybe the waves are created by, I don't know what is in your life, but your boat will survive. Your boat will go in the eternity because there is a forerunner. Throw the anchor. The anchor will hold. Now, if you as a church experience right now some problems, waves, you know, check the anchor. Check Jesus. Pay close attention to Him. Correct the course of your life. Uh, what does it mean? Well, I don't know. Come to every church meeting. Small groups. What was uh, next? Uh, you, you said it in the... Uh, uh, prayer, right? Prayer meeting. Or what was another one? I, women's uh, study group. Yeah. Don't check that. Oh, yeah, yeah, we have this and that. No, go there. Because God will talk to your heart. God will speak. And His words will transform your life. What happens when your life is transformed? You are calm. Your church is calm. We know our future is sure. Not because of the waves, because of the boat. And because of the promise. And because of the, what God said. I hope Abram's illustration, God's promise and covenant, and the invisible presence of Jesus in the heavens, it's enough for you to invest in hope. Throw the anchor of hope. It will hold. Amen. Now, remember what I said, right? We still have seven minutes. Um, please stand up and go somewhere. Let's have like three groups where... Uh, I don't know. I don't want to direct this. But try to congregate with some other people. I know we need to wear masks and everything. But for five minutes, tell, retell something from the sermon. Try to give a feedback to the others. This will help you to remember. This will help your memory. Okay, so, well, so you then.